Welcome to Beyond These Walls, a modern-day version of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, made possible by your commitment to pray, serve, and give. Through Beyond These Walls, we can extend the Lord's work through our home church ministries, community outreach, national partnerships, and international missions in even greater ways than we ever have before. One of our local areas of focus is Washington County. There, the drug addiction epidemic is rampant, and it has been well documented with unsettling results. According to the 2016 Washington County Coroner's Year-End Report, there were 109 lives that ended tragically as a result of drug overdose. To put that into perspective, in 2006, that same number was 23. That's a 374% increase in the number of drug-related deaths in Washington County in just 10 short years. Of particular concern is the growing use of heroin, which caused nearly half of those 109 deaths in 2016. These numbers do not include those who survived an overdose by using Narcan, a medicine that counteracts the effects of overdose and prevents death. Through our Washington campus and our partnership with City Mission, we have witnessed hurt and devastation firsthand, and we want to help change things. Our vision is to offer robust ministry services aimed at reaching, evangelizing, shepherding, and discipling those affected by the escalating epidemic of addiction sweeping our region. You can contribute to the solution and partner with us in this effort. Prayerfully consider how you will be a part of this exciting opportunity for the Bible Chapel. Commit to pray, serve, give, and help us go beyond our walls. For more information or to take the next step in participating, visit BibleChapel.org. Well, good morning, everybody. You know, when we, we think about Beyond These Walls, and we've heard about Beyond These Walls for, for 10 years, and, and Beyond These Walls has really become the vision that God has laid on the leadership of the church. And, and, and what the things that he would have us focus on and, and invest his resources, our time, our talent, and our treasure in. And, and we have an amazing opportunity, as you see in that video, to, to minister to the hurting community that's really right in our backyard. It's in the walls of our church with dealing with recovery. Not only the folks struggling with recovery, but also ministering to the families of the people that are struggling with recovery. And I can tell you that Narcan is the real deal. I'm, I'm working with a family inside of our church now that their 20-something-year-old son died and was um, resurrected, not resurrected, but revived using Narcan. It's in our church. And we think about Washington County is a lot of the cases with heroin get adjudicated in the city of Washington. The prisons there, the court system, and our church is right there. And many of these folks land on our doorstep. And we would love the opportunity to minister to them in a more effective, more focused way. And a way that we can do that is through this recovery initiative in the community that we have through Beyond These Walls. Now this is one of 17 things that God has placed on our hearts as a leadership and we want you guys to find out more about those things. And you can go online at biblechapel.org to find out how you can be involved financially. You can be involved with prayer. And you can also be involved with your service and using the gifts that God's given you. 
So please join us in these efforts to find out more and to be involved in these ministries um, that God has placed on our heart over the next three years. All right, before we get started, let's ask God, as we always do, to, to lead us through his word. Dear Father, we do thank you for who you are in our lives, for every breath that you give us. Father, we're gonna ask you to guide us this morning so we can be anchored in the truth that comes from your word, not the shifting sand of what this world and culture tells us today. Open our eyes and open our hearts. It's in your son's name that we pray together. Amen. Now, at the beginning of February, we started our uh, sermon series uh, studying the book of Hebrews. And one of the things that we've seen to this point and that we're going to see for the coming months ahead is the clear superiority of Jesus Christ. That is the everything that Christ is superior, even the angels, as we learned a couple of weeks ago. Since that sermon, Ron spoke here in the South Hills and each of the campus pastors spoke alive about the topic of Christ's superiority over angels, we've received a number of questions about angels. So what I want to do is I'm going to take our time together this morning to, to understand what God's word has to say about that. There's a lot of curiosity in culture today about angels. And as researching, getting ready for this, it's, I found stores, believe this or not, <laughs> that are dedicated to selling angel stuff, angel comforters, angel pillowcases, stickers to put on your car. There's websites devoted to this. There's books, there's movies, there's TV series, all about angels and their interaction in our lives. But unfortunately, most of what we see in the world today is a, is a distorted view. And, and I'm going to blame, like we do with everything else, I'm going to blame it on Hollywood. And I'm going to blame it on It's a Wonderful Life, on why we have this distorted view of angels. So what I want to do is I want to start our time together today by fixing that distorted view and, and really kind of smashing five fantasies that we have as humans about angels. All right, these are in your bulletin notes. We're going we're gonna to go through these fantasies and we're going to get rid of them out of our minds before we address what God's word really does say about them. All right, fantasy number one is that angels are human beings that have died. As I was talking to people and asking my kids and their friends and some of my friends about angels, many of them held the belief that angels are people who have died and somehow have earned their wings along this process. And in just this week, I don't know if you heard the story, it was floating around on Facebook and it was on the news about this eight-year-old boy in Idaho he was working with his dad on, on a car. He was underneath the car. It was up on a jack. The car came free and um, came down on his father. The teenage son was, I think, left to go get something. This eight-year-old boy was left with his father trapped under the car. And he couldn't get the car up. And he kept trying and trying and trying. Finally, he got the car up off of his father. And in this interview with this eight-year-old boy, they asked him, how were you able to do that? And the boy responded, well, the angels helped me. 
But then the dad added this. He said, well, we believe my grandpa who passed on and my sister who died were helping him. Angels helping the eight-year-old boy? Yeah, sure. Used to be humans? I don't think so. That's fantasy. Here's biblical facts. Angels are spiritual beings created by God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For him, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. The word powers in this verse here has to do with angelic rankings, with the, with the realms and the divisions of these invisible creatures. See, the Bible says that God knows the number of angels, but he doesn't tell us. We don't know the exact number of angels, but we do believe it is a set number, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But we do see that John in the book of Revelation says that he sees 10,000 times 10,000 angels. Now for you that are, that are not math inclined, that is 100 million angels. Later in the book of Revelation, it goes on to say that there are thousands upon thousands of angels. But whatever the number of angels are, we know that it is a significant number. We also know in looking at scripture that the Bible never speaks about an angel getting old, an angel dying. The Bible never says anything about a baby angel. In fact, we know from Jesus' words that angels do not reproduce. Because he said when we go to heaven, we will be like the angels in a sense because we will not have to marry to, to, for the purpose of human procreation. We won't have to reproduce, God, Jesus says, that we are like the angels. So the bottom line is, is that angels are not humans. They are special spiritual beings created by God. Fantasy number one out the window. You ready for fantasy number two? Angels are chubby baby with wings. <laughs> and this is another fantasy that I am blaming on Hollywood. Here's the biblical fact. Angels most often appear in scripture as what? Ordinary men. They're not like Cupid flying around ready to shoot love arrows at you single people. The Bible does teach, though, that there are different kinds of angels. First, we hear that there's an archangel. There's one of them. What's his name? Michael. We also see that there are angels called cherubs, or plural, cherubim. We see them um, um, hovering over, being on top of the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Ezekiel speaks a lot about cherubim in his writings. 
And how many wings do the cherubim have? Four. Cherubim have four wings. Then we read in Isaiah and we see another kind of angel. They're seraphs or seraphim. Right? We see them, what? Praising God. And how many wings do they have? That's where six comes in. They have six wings. Now we have to be careful just because cherubim and seraphim have wings, that does not mean that all angels have wings. Because we see a whole nother group of angels in scriptures not described as having wings. Because these angels appear as ordinary men. Do you remember in Genesis 18 when Abraham encounters the three angels? Do you remember how they appeared? Three ordinary men. In fact, Abraham thought that they were men. Or do you remember in the story of Samson when his father-to-be, Manoah, there was this interaction between the angel Manoah and his wife about that she was going to be pregnant and he didn't even believe that it was an angel. And they had to perform a miracle for him to even believe that this man standing in front of him was an angel. So all throughout scripture, we see angels appearing as ordinary men. In fact, the only reason that we know they're angels in scripture is because of the message that they have coming from God or what else? The glory of God either shining off of their clothing or shining off of their face. That's how we know that they're angels in scripture. So get that image of a chubby little baby angel with these cute little wings running around heaven. Because most times angels appear as ordinary men. All right, that was fantasy number two. Fantasy number three. Angels are sweet and harmless creatures who sing and play harps. This is simply not true. When looking at scripture, we actually see the majority of time that angels are most often mighty warriors with swords. What's the first time that an angel is mentioned in scripture? Genesis 3. What happened in Genesis 3? The fall. Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, what happened? God put them out of the garden. And to make sure they didn't come back in the garden, what did he do? He put an angel at the gate. Not only with a sword, but a flaming sword. So they didn't get back in. All throughout scripture, we see angels as these warriors as these battlers. We see in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 36, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in an Assyrian camp. One angel, 185,000. So these are mighty warriors that we're talking about here. And you also never see in scripture an angel playing a harp. And if you find it, send it to me, and I'll stand up here next week and I'll apologize. It's not in there. And guess what? I'm glad you're sitting down for this one. (laughs) Because the Bible also doesn't say anything about angels singing. 
When you look at the original text, particularly at the proof texts that people point to to support angel singing, primarily Job, Luke, Revelation, is when you look at the words, they're actually translated either to sing or praise, not, I'm sorry, speak or praise, not sing. Praise does not, it can mean sing, but it doesn't require singing. Now, I don't have time to get into all that this morning, but I am certain in looking at scripture that we cannot be dogmatic that angels do sing. Now, Revelation says, when you look at Revelations, they, Revelation says they speak their praise. But guess what? But the saints, that's us, we sing a new song. When I look at scripture, it seems to me that the singing is left up to us. To fun study, take the time to do it yourself. Love to hear what you have to think. All right, fantasy number three. Fantasy number four. All angels are good and they obey God. There are only three angels named in scripture. Who are they? Well, I already gave you one answer. Michael, the archangel. Who's another one? Gabriel. And who's the third? Lucifer. Was Lucifer good? No. Right? He was the one who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. Today, we call him Satan. We call him the evil one. We call him the devil. And all the angels that follow him out disobeyed him. So we've got God's holy angels. And we've got the fallen angels. Who many times we call them evil spirits. They're the demons. And we see even Jesus talked about this in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will say, talking about God and judgment, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So angels are not all good. They're just like us. They have a free will they're able to choose. Some of them choose to rebel against God just like we are free to do. All right, fantasy number four. All right, fantasy number five, where angels must be seen to be real. And the truth in scripture shows us that they are usually, that angels are usually invisible. And that there only are certain times when people are able to see them in a physical form. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love the opportunity to see an angel. I would. But I think God protects us from that. You know why? Because I think we would fall into the same trap that John fell into in the book of Revelation. Turn there with me. Revelation chapter 19. Verse 10. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Right, so this interchange is going on between John and the angel. We see that in verse 9. He said, Then the angel said to me, That's the dialogue that's taking place. Look at verse 10. At this, 
I, John, fell at his, the angel's, feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, not me. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. See, John fell down to worship the angel. And I think we would be tempted to do the exact same thing. And the angels tell him, no, 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 don't do that. Don't worship me. The only one we are to worship is God. See, we don't have to see them for them to be real. And we see in Scripture that they usually work as God's invisible helpers. And this takes me to an amazing story in Scripture. Turn to the Old Testament. We're going to look at 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter six. And as you're turning there, let me, let me kind of set up this story for you. So at this point of history, the Syrians are, are really warring against the Israelites. The king of Syria is out to get the king of Israel. He's making his plans. He's having his people set up a camp, getting ready to attack the king of Israel. In this process, it comes to his attention that the king of Israel knows everything that he's doing. Obviously not being pleased, the king of Syria pulls out his men and retreats. So he can only help but think, how do they know what I'm doing? I must have a spy in my ranks. And then one of his officers speaks up and says, no, no, no. It's not that at all. I've heard about this prophet, prophet Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. It's him. He is the one. Look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 12. Right? He says to, Elisha, uh, um, to, um, to his, uh, the king of Syria, none of us, my lord, the king, none of us are spies said one of his officers. But Elisha, that's who it is. It's him, the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words you speak of in your bedroom. Now, Elisha is clearly not in the king of Syria's bedroom. So, but how does Elisha know what the king of Syria is up to? Oh, it's, he's a prophet. It's God. God's telling him everything that's going on. God's telling him the plans of the king of Syria. So the king of Syria says, huh, I'll take care of him. Let's go get Elisha. So he doesn't rat us out. And he doesn't take any chances. He takes, he sends his whole army to get one person. There's so many people that this army surrounds the entire city. And look what happens in verse 16. Jump down to verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 15. Go 15 first. He says, go find out where he is, the king ordered. 
So I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Okay, leading up to verse 15. When the servant of man of God got up and went out early the next morning, right, as a servant to Elisha, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. He looks at Elisha, says, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asks. Can you just imagine that sight? You get up in the morning, you're getting your stretch on, thinking about a little coffee, reading the paper, maybe check out the sunrise, you walk outside, and you're surrounded by an army. <laughs> Looks at the license and say, oh, what are we going to do? And I love Elisha's response. Look at verse 16. Elisha said, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now let me ask you something. Would that have cut it for you? A whole army surrounding you? I'm sure you would have responded, oh, I'm sorry for being afraid. Please forgive my anxiety. Please forgive my fear, oh man of God. I wouldn't have. I would have been, guarded, Elisha, what's the plan? How are we getting out of here? How are we going to defend ourselves? But see, Elisha knew what God was up to. Look at verse 17. And Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots, of, uh, chariots of fire all around Elisha. Horses and chariots filled the hills. God's angels were there to protect him. You see, in the midst of all of that, God's angels were already there. They were ready to help. See, that's why God created angels in the first place. It's the passage that we read a few weeks ago, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Psalm 91, 11, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. See, just because the servant didn't see them doesn't mean that they weren't there. And the same is true for us today. Just because we can't see them does not mean that they aren't there ready to protect us. But sometimes God does let us see them. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without even knowing it. That's why we hear stories today of people that found themselves in a, in a dire situation. Somebody stepped up to help them and they turned around and thanked them. And what happened? They're not there. Did angels help? That eight-year-old boy lift that car off, car off his father? 
I believe that they could. Now, this story with Elisha ends um, with Elisha praying to the Lord to blind the, the army of Syrians. He does, and Elisha actually ends up leading them back to Syria, and the Israelites and Elisha ends up being safe. So there you have it. Five fantasies about angels, hopefully crushed for you. Now, you'll probably never watch It's a Wonderful Life again the same way. I apologize for that. But it leads me to a question. So what? So what? What does this mean to us today? What does this truth about angels in this unseen spiritual world, what does it mean to us when we walk out those doors into a world that we can see? And what I want to do is I want to leave you with four truths. These are also in your, in your sermon notes, in your bulletin. Four truths that I believe that should transform our lives. As we walk in a world that we can see, this knowledge of this unseen spiritual world should impact the way that we live today in this broken and fallen world. Four truths. Number one, it's important to realize that God's word is more powerful than the armies of the world. See, it's having this understanding that allows us to live in this world that we can see this very real, this very frightening world at times in such a way that we can derive our encouragement and our strength from the world that we cannot see. See, it's important to understand and to know that God's word is more powerful than the world's armies. That God's word is more powerful than anybody who opposes us. We see this story in Elisha. We see these stories all throughout scripture. When God wants to defend Israel, God is able to intervene. And that is true with his people, you and me today. That he has multiple armies, legions of angels that stand by ready to help us. That he could deploy at any moment to defend his people whenever he chooses to defend them. See, God is sovereign. God is the one who rules the affairs of men. Do you remember the interaction between Pilate and Jesus just before he was sentenced to be crucified? John 19.10, look at this exchange. He says, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate asked? Do you realize I have the power to free you or to crucify you? You can almost hear the smugness in his voice in talking to Jesus. But look how Jesus responds in verse 11. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus is basically saying, you know what, Pilate? The very breath you used to form those words, I gave it to you. That very position that you're in, I let you have it. I appointed you into that position. You can't do anything, absolutely nothing, unless it comes from the one above. 
And when we look, it is what's happening in our country, in our world today. It is easy to be afraid. It is easy to be filled with anxiety. When we think about what radical Islam is trying to do, when we think about Christians being persecuted for their faith all over this world, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to want to give up when we, when we look at what's going on in the seen world. But we've got to remember that God's word is more powerful than these armies. That God's word is more powerful than the designs of men who oppose us. It's more powerful than the Chinese. It's more powerful than North Korea. It's more powerful than ISIS. There is an unseen world of angels in God that stand ready to defend us, which is more powerful than anything that can oppose us. And they can't do anything unless God lets them do it. And that's what we need to hang on to in a world that has lost its way. That we know that God is confidently in charge, that he has legions of angel armies by his side. That's the first truth. God's word is more powerful than the armies of the world. Second truth, we need to be confident that God knows what we need. Did you notice that Elijah's prayer did not bring the angels. Elisha's prayer and God responding to it only opened the eyes of the servant to see that what? The angels were already there. The angels were already in place and Elisha knew it. Now we don't know by looking at scripture on whether he was able to see them or not. But we do know that Elisha stood there confident, surrounded by an army ready to cut off his head. He stood confident knowing that if God wanted to save him, he knew that he was capable of being saved. He knew that if God wanted to rescue him from that environment, he knew without a doubt that God was able to do it. And you see, our confidence to stand firm when it feels like an army surrounding us, when the odds are stacked against us, when life has got us down, our ability to stand confidently knowing that God can rescue us from our situation comes from God's truth, comes from God's under, our understanding of the invisible world that is there to fight and protect us, but it also comes from knowing that God has done that in our past. That God has shown up in our lives time and time and time again. Then we find ourselves surrounded by an army that we can pray for thank, in thanksgiving and say, God, thank you for what you promised me and thank you for what you've done in the past. And because of those two things, I stand confident today that if you want to deliver me from this, you will. 
and not be filled with fear and anxiety. Regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in because we know that God knows what we need. Spiritual uh, truth number two. Third truth is that only God can open people's eyes. In this story with Elisha, who opened the eyes of the servant? God did. Could Elisha do it? No. Right? The spirit world is God's domain. Only God can open our eyes to see spiritual truth. We can't do that for somebody. But we can pray for somebody to have their spiritual eyes open, just as Paul prayed for the, for the people in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory, inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. See, we should pray for one another for our spiritual eyes to be open because we need to see the triumph and the power of Jesus working in our lives. As Paul writes, it's our eyes to our heart, our spiritual eyes have to be open so that we can grasp the power of who God is and what he has at his disposal, right? All the things that are unseen, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, faith is conviction of things unseen based on the promises of God, based on the teaching of God in his word. And so when we encounter this world that we live in, this seen world, if you will, that our eyes would be spiritually open and know with certainty that the unseen world is on our side, ready to fight for us, ready to defend us, and nothing is gonna happen to us without his permission. It's truth number three. Truth number four. It's not necessary for us to see angels in order to appreciate them. Let me ask you a question. Would the angels have still been there if the, if the servant's eyes weren't open? Yeah. They were already there. Here's the interesting thing when you look at that text. God never used the horses and the chariots of fire. I don't see any work on the behalf of that army of angels in that battle. Elisha prayed to God that they would be blinded. God blinded them. He led them out of the country, back to Syria, and that's how that battle was won. See, there are times that God chooses not to use them. And we have to realize that even though they stand ready to defend us and guard us, that God may choose not to use them even though we wish he would. 
Do you guys remember the scene when Jesus was being carried away? He's, now he's, being, he's sentenced to be crucified and now he's being carried away to be crucified. What happens? Peter jumps into action, right? He goes to defend Jesus. He whips out his sword, starts slapping the high priest around, cuts his ear off. And then Jesus looks at him in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. He says, do you not think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. A legion is a military term taken from the Romans. It's a unit of at least six, at least 6,000 soldiers. So more than 12 legions is at least 72,000 angels. And if we remember what we said earlier, how many people did one angel wipe out? 185,000. That's the power that Jesus had at his fingertips. Can you imagine the angels? Come on, Jesus, turn us loose. We could beat him down. We could defend you and, and you could be alive and you can live victoriously. But that was not God's plan, was it? You see, the angels stand ready at God's command to protect us. But sometimes God does not allow them to do so. God has a different plan and a different purpose for us. He did for Jesus on that day. And he does for us at times also. But my prayer for you is this, is that God opens your spiritual eyes. That your belief in this unseen world, in angels sent to protect you, in Jesus who was sent to save you, would give you hope to live in a fallen world that we see every day. I'm gonna read this to you. I'm gonna call the worship leaders out. I'm gonna sing a song. Campus are gonna sing the same song and I'm gonna read this to you. First John chapter four, verse one to four. Listen to what John writes. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But, the, but every spirit does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now, even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and overcome them because the one who is in you, right? The Holy Spirit is greater than the one who is in the world. That's the hope and promise that we have inside of us. That's why we're gonna sing and close with whom shall I fear? Love this song.
paints this picture, this, this verse says, you crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield, though troubles linger still. Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. Stand up and let's sing this song together.